Good morning, good afternoon to everyone wherever you are in the world. My name is Mark, as you know. You can follow me on Twitter at MarksPolitics. That's my handle on Twitter. And our podcast's handle is Child Rights Chat, both on Twitter and Instagram. So please follow us on that if you haven't yet, because we bring a lot of exclusives and a lot of really interesting content to all of you who are listening, who can benefit from educational content that we share. So yeah, definitely give us a follow on all those platforms. Today, I'm joined by a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is Jalar Ortiga and he uses all pronouns. And he is uh, studying law and currently based in Orléans, France. And he is originally from Barcelona though. Um, they are also neurodivergent. So as you know, I'm very proud of this uh, label because it's often used against us and it's often um, kind of used to make us feel less than neurotypicals, but I'm very proud of it. And I'm joined by someone who's also it. So it's really exciting um, to have this neurodivergent conversation because we think in non-linear ways and it can bring about really interesting outcomes. But in any case, um, before I introduce them, um, I would like to just quickly mention um, to anyone who's currently struggling with what's happening in Iran. Obviously, the, the revolution uh, for women's rights has been going on for, for a while now, but um, it's just been news that about 14,000 people are at risk of, um, of being murdered by the regime. So um, I know this is obviously really bad for all those people who are at risk of also torture and other types of abuse, but I know that people from the outside who are watching um, the situation and who don't have the tools to make a difference for those people can be feeling a lot of frustration and a lot of hopelessness at this time. So I hope you remember to look after yourselves because as activists, it can be really hard to see that and know that you're not able to kind of go and help those people. Um, so yeah, a lot of strength to you all and it's normal that you're feeling this way. Remember to prioritize joy and rest so that we can continue to fight um, against all injustice in a sustainable way. Um, but in any case, before I go any further with any other subject, um, I don't want to keep my guest waiting. Um, welcome, Jarad. Hello, good morning. Yeah, so Jarad is in Orléans. Once again, I'm amazed by how we can have this conversation so many miles away from each other. It's wild, don't you think? It is. It is very interesting that we can do that, especially um, I remember when you when you'd be like in other parts of the world, it'd be like even crazier, but we always do um, Zoom calls, so we're kind of used to it. It's it's wild how how used to technology we've become and how dependent on it, even though I don't mean it in a bad way, because it's also allowed us to do many incredible yeah, things. We fully embrace it. Yeah, exactly. We fully embrace it. We can't imagine life, especially as queers. We can't imagine life as queers without technology. And that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about queerness. Uh, we've mentioned it in the past, but this episode is kind of going to be a dive into it. And um, the headline is kind of growing up queer, but we'll also talk about um, many other things. Uh, but before we, before we start discussing the topics that we've got ready for today, we would like to acknowledge that we are two male privileged people. Uh, none of us, uh, I believe, fully identify as male, but we do see that we are male privileged and that we've been socialized as men in the society 
So whatever conversation that we can have about queerness is going to be somewhat partial um, to a lot of other experiences that people who are queer and have other identities have lived. Like for example, uh, black trans women on one end or simply lesbians who uh, live somewhere else but the global north um, where we're both uh, based and where we have developed our lives. So yeah. Um, well, anyway, before we before we talk about the actual subjects, how do you identify, Javad? Um, I mean, I feel like I identify as queer, but I definitely um, really think it's important what you were saying about um, privilege, because it's also a thing we we often talked about. Um, and I also think it's important to really, um, you know, bring attention to the fact that we are at the end of the day, like privileged, and we are in a privileged position too um, within the LGBT community. So um, all of our conversations and experiences are based through that lens. And so even when it comes to gender identity, um, <clears throat> it's sort of like um, you can identify with um, other things, but I feel like I've personally been aware of, you know, um, how you're perceived in society. So if you're perceived as a cis um, gendered person, at the end of the day, that's, um, I, I feel like that's important to acknowledge. And I don't think it takes away from your identity. And so, exactly. yeah. Yeah, it would be really sad to kind of base our identities on the discrimination or the, yeah. or the kind of bad perception from others that we receive as queer. So yeah, we should find grounding in our identities as they are, like for what we are, not for how others perceive us. So one hundred percent, but we still have to acknowledge um, that because cool. oppression is constructed socially. Exactly. That's what I was. Yeah. That was, yeah. That was the whole point. Mm -hmm. So both of us identify as gay, but actually we feel that queer is more fitting um, to kind of describe ourselves when we're in a new situation. Um, personally, the reason why I prefer queer over gay, even though um, I'm exclusively attracted to the opposite gender that was assigned to me at birth, um, is because queer literally means weird. And um, a lot of the times I felt like I'm weird, I'm the odd one out for not following um, the heteronormative kind of rules and guidelines um, that were set for me and the rest of society. Um, as soon as we're born, uh, at least in this context. Yeah. I feel like we both kind of feel that way, um, <laughs> which is something we've talked about. Even like within the LGBT community, you can still feel weird, um, <clears throat> like sometimes compared to other people. Um, so I feel like maybe that's also why um, we kind of see it as more of a fitting um, label. Um, and I feel like it also embraces other aspects of your identity, not so much just sexuality. Um, it's more like the way you see things are usually from a queer experience and having, you know, having had like different um, maybe points of view and yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> and <laughs> it's very interesting what you mentioned about uh, being made to feel queer as in weird inside the, the LGBTQ community. And I, I really relate to that as well. Um, and I think that is because a lot of gays, especially gay men, I feel, um, 
who can be like cis gay men who can often be the most privileged um, sub identity in the queer community. They often still follow um, kind of patriarchal and heteronormative. Heteronormative, um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, a lot of heteronormative um, mm. ideals. Like, for example, they only see the kind of nuclear family as the only possibility yes. to develop their lives, for example. Sure. Can you talk a little bit to that? Yeah, I, I also feel it that way. Um, and I also think it's really centered around um, whiteness a lot of times and within the um, what you were saying the same circle of people um, and so yeah I feel like the term queer also at least in my like I, um, idea of it um, and sort of embraces all all of those um, other types of identities that don't sort of fit um, in that um, yeah at the end of the day it's just like um, some people of the LGBT community who still want to feel like there was this tweet actually that we talked about that was super um like it was funny but also it had a lot of truth to it that was like um a lot of like gay people want to be seen as like we're also normal we're also um um you know worthy of like being acknowledged as a normal family but blah, blah blah and it's like but some of us were actually want to be seen as weird and as what we actually are um which i think is super hilarious but um it's true um what do you think like i think it's like sort of what we were talking about yeah 100 percent. because um they what they consider normal and what they consider like valid is again what the heteronormativity considers value which is having a family like uh like a capitalist view too exactly 100 percent capitalism definitely fits in there as well um and uh we're actually gonna talk about this more because we're gonna talk about uh, queer ecology um but so if you want to hear about what queer ecology is um which will blow your mind just stay tuned but first, we, I would like to ask you a little bit about um, basically the, the, the promiscuity stereotype, because often as gay men, for, like for lesbian women, for example, I think it's very different because they often get uh, called friends more than we do. Like, oh, they're just really good friends. Or um, if they see two women uh, holding hands in public, they assume they're friends, things like that. Uh, but with us, with uh, gay male presenting people is a bit different because we often get this stereotype pushed that we sleep with a lot of people and that's what gayness is about. Um, so yeah, ha what do you think about this promiscuity stereotype? Have you experienced it in, in your life? I mean, yeah, I think um, I have like um, a lot of opinions on this for uh, like for one, it's how um, the stereotype is really harmful. Um, and so, like, I think it comes partly from the fact that um, queer relationships are not seen um, as, like, real or, like, worthy of, like, uh, intimacy, like, b being kept in private. That's why a lot of straight people also feel entitled to ask super intrusive questions about your like sexual preferences to um, gay people especially gay men I feel like it's become super normalized to just um <clears throat> you know just like ask about 
things that you probably wouldn't ask to a straight couple what they do um uh what their sexual preferences are and i think it this all comes from the idea that it's just like not um like a really real relationship where it's not like as valid and it partly also comes from i think the representation we got a lot of this um lgbt characters in on screen like gay men on screen like in tv shows are super like overly sexualized um like their whole personality is probably about that they have like um not so much now but um it's definitely been like a stereotype um so that's one part and then the other part is like the actual um you know like the actual prom promiscuity that actually does happen uh, in the lgbt community I, I think it also comes from sort of not having like a healthy relationship with um sex and just like um i feel like there's a lot of shame in like queer sex too so that is probably related but then again i'm like not a sex therapist but i think in my opinion it does come from that um but yeah yeah i agree i mean um it is hypersexualized because it's not seen as real um and then as a result also we hypersexualize each other because yeah. of what you were saying because yeah. we've had that representation like if all the ideas we've got from media culture uh, about gay men particularly um is like hypersexualized um kind of figures then of course that's that's the only way we learn how to relate to each other and as you said there's a lot of queer shame in sex and i think actually you don't have to be a um, sex therapist to talk about that because uh, we're both queer men who exist in this society or queer people who exist in this society and we've both experienced how um, this hookup culture is especially toxic in the lgbtq community because um yeah that's basically all that society has um approved for us to have yeah, for um, sure. and then intimacy that's why i think that intimacy between queer people can be like truly revolutionary and it doesn't have to come in the form of a relationship yeah. a romantic relationship as the heteronormative kind of patriarchy um suggests it can also be like friendship uh queer community which we've talked uh, a lot about and you and i are family for example we're, we're yeah. the same queer family so that's also a sort of intimacy that's it's truly groundbreaking uh, at least in my opinion mm -hmm. i do like to think of it like just um existing like this sometimes can be like revolutionary in the sense that it like totally contradicts um the idea that like other people have of like family and friendships mm -hmm. so yeah well we always talk about this but yeah yeah um it's kind of we take ownership of a feeling that was never like approved for us to have which is mm -hmm. intimacy um amongst other queers amongst other kind of weird outcasts from society yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and it's it's very true like we kind of took the the idea of the hetero um couple family and we kind of shattered it in a million yeah <laughs> because, like a lot of pieces for sure yeah like we both have our biological families but we have built a separate family um that is a our family. family yeah a very large family that keeps expanding and uh, <laughs> we can support each other from that and oh no, yeah for sure yeah it's i think it's definitely really really powerful 
Um, so yeah, and then also the fact that still talking about promiscuity, um, the fact that apps like Grindr, I don't know if you um, know about it, the, our listeners, but um, it's basically an app that serves um, uh, gay men or um, gay, ident- I mean, gay male identifying people um, to, or bisexual, of course, but just basically intercourse between men. Yeah, exactly. um, there are some exceptions, but that's the, the kind of the idea. Um, and nothing similar exists for straight people, like a hookup. It's, it's like purely a hookup app, um, a sexual encounters app. Um, and it only exists for gay men. So that kind of also gives us a, a really clear idea of the problem on both ends, on the queer community for following this yeah, exactly. stereotype that's been pushed on us, while not everyone must necessarily feel promiscuous, but they're just forced to do it, um, to be active queers in society. And then also the kind of apps, um, like the app developer world that has only bothered to create this Literally. The, yeah, sexualized group. Yeah, so it's it's pretty pretty terrifying. And again, just to to make it clear, promiscuity is nothing wrong of in in itself. Yeah, exactly. it's some of you are wondering. Yeah, I also think that exactly like we're just using that term. I feel because it like better shows what we were talking about. I feel like people who know what we were talking about, like in particular, will understand. But it's not about promiscuity. It's more so like not taking each like each other seriously as in like not taking um your connections with other um partners seriously um and just like basing it on like a sexual level um which is okay obviously like we've all done that and it's equally valid it's just that um um it sometimes can feel like that's the only thing that's what we're saying like it feels like it's the only access that you will have to um intimacy you know? yeah uh, yeah and that's that's the whole thing like if you choose to be promiscuous as a gay person as a straight person that's totally fine but the thing is when that stereotype is pushed on you and like Jada was saying if that's the only thing you, you seem to be allowed to do then that's what where it becomes uh i mean there's truly nothing wrong with it um but yeah i would like to talk about the concept of coming out because um yeah i think you especially have a lot to say about this because you feel strongly um about this so yeah please share with us any thoughts you have on the concept of coming out okay um yeah um i mean i think this topic in particular is is like um where like um you know for instance like privilege and um your experience can really make a difference like obviously my experience has been really different and I think it's one of the topics that like a lot of queer people have a really really different experience with um so this is just like um for some people that are like feeling like they um have to like come out or like maybe listeners who are like feeling like that I don't know um instead of just being like my opinions on the way that people choose to come out it's not that um i feel like what we've talked about mostly is like um what you know straight um people expect from gay people that's what um i really have a problem with um it's usually um like they expect you to just say something um to like you know um like 
um, be outspoken about your identity that you've like probably kept hidden or something. And then it's like a celebration type of moment. But what I think is that um, a lot of queer people before coming out have gone through like a lot of um, self-doubt and a lot of shaming from the same people that they then after have to come out to. So my problem with that is that usually the coming out experience should more so look like um, like a reparation, in my, in my opinion. It should be like um, you telling those people, those same people that you probably like love and like are around you, um, <clears throat> you have to like, um, it should look like those people like probably making you acknowledging what they have make made you you know not being able to to tell them before do you yeah, know what i mean to acknowledge the ways in which they yeah. harmed you exactly um, yeah it's kind of like really hypocritical to um yeah harm someone for a reason which is their sexual identity or their gender identity and then actually expecting for them to be outspoken and proud yeah. of that very identity you know it's kind exactly. of really twisted and what's what's worse about this is that usually it's like the result of you like a queer person telling um their friends and family it's like first of all maybe it's like oh my god like blah blah um like they just like throw a big fucking party which is weird too um sorry for cursing um that's the only time uh, on this podcast okay um it's weird and also it's invalidating. That's what I'm trying to get to is that the whole experience is super invalidating um, because instead of your like queer trauma, if that makes sense, that that's the thing, like um, queer trauma doesn't usually come from the same people that, or like the media that you've seen and the homophobic things you've seen um, from other people that you don't know. It usually comes from um the people surrounding you and like microaggressions and stuff like that so what I mean is that um when when it comes to you coming out um and those same people that probably have done something um you know obviously not that they um did it on purpose or maybe yeah but whatever that's not the point is that um those same people celebrating and like sort of like ignoring those things and that are still probably um taking like space in your mind um is what i'm like not okay with most of the time but yeah yeah and you actually raised a really good point um about queer trauma because uh people often think that homophobia is like this overt act of violence towards gay people or that racism for example is this overt uh, acts of violence against uh, racialized people but it's actually not like that um a lot of kind of the trauma that we carry in our bodies and in our minds and souls is mm. microaggressions like every day-to-day -day interactions little jokes little comments here and there that yep. kind of undermine our identity and kind of make us feel low um constantly every single day um, as we're kind of um targeted by them and they can be done jokingly, they can be done with good intentions, just following like uh, things you've heard that you haven't really questioned. Like that's not that's not really the matter. And exactly. it doesn't really matter what the intention of the person is, even if they mean well, even if they love you, even if they've done a lot of other things for you. The thing is, at the end of the day, that's still hurting you. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, we that's that's where it becomes like really key. 
Uh, because a lot of people say, oh, I'm not homophobic. Oh, I'm not racist. But then if you look at your day-to-day interactions, do you joke about gay people? Do you joke about queer people? Um, when you see like a, a trans uh, character on TV, are you laughing because they're funny or are you la- laughing because they're trans? You know, it's these little things that exactly. you haven't really kind of thought about, mm-hmm. um, at least in my opinion. No, and I yeah. couldn't agree more. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were talking about the concept of coming out originally. We do go on, on a lot of tangents. That's kind of our neurodivergence. But <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the great thing about this conversation, in my opinion. Uh, but yeah, when I came out, for example, I, I dreaded, uh, I, I felt the pressure to come out because it's not something that we should do. It comes from heteronormative. Mm-hmm. I, I felt the pressure that I had to tell the world that I wasn't straight like they had assumed I was because I hadn't, I hadn't, given, and I hadn't given any other um kind of outward sign that I wasn't um even though it's really clear so I don't I don't get it <laughs> but <laughs> yeah um I I felt like I had to do it I, I felt this pressure and um ultimately I did it when I got my first boyfriend um and uh, I remember the first comment that I received from one of my parents was oh but are you still into women I mean, before they said anything else, Same. that's kind of, you had the same experience. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. It's kind of like always hoping um, that at least, um, yeah, th- that kind of dream of uh, <laughs> family can still be, uh, or, or j- just not even like family related, but the idea of you being somewhat right in their eyes yeah. will be possible. Exactly. And that's kind of where we, we link in with, um, with bisexuality, you know, because of course, bisexuals are really oppressed and they're really invisibilized. And um, a lot of like, j- just see in this podcast about queerness, how many times we've mentioned them. It's true. We haven't very much because they are invisibilized. Um, even in the queer community, a lot of the time. Um, and they are, there's like specific um, kind of targeted acts of oppression against uh, bisexual people, like biphobia. Yeah, biphobia. yeah exactly. And um, like the bi erasure exactly Um, yeah however we still have to acknowledge that um a lot of bisexual people especially bisexual cis men have had a lot um of privilege over gay men um and that sometimes us as gays we actually feel a lot of um homophobia coming from bisexual men um like often kind of a lot of men would want to have uh, sexual re- relations and sexual encounters with us, but would never even think of having a relationship with us. Um, n- not me or you particularly, just our kind of uh, yeah, category. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like, it's only a distraction or it's only a game or it's only um, a sexual encounter, but it, it cannot go any further than that. Um, and that's only kind of like an interpersonal private space uh, type of homophobia but there's there's a lot of other ways in which I personally um, and the whole community of gays has felt attacked uh, by bisexuals do, do you have any other examples or anything you want to share um I mean I think more more um apart from like the interpersonal things that you feel it sort of comes down to what we were saying at, at, in like at the beginning about how you're perceived um and it's just that sometimes um bisexuality can feel like a safer um label even for a lot of um queers like 
there's this thing about like how a lot of um gays have like been bisexual before me and that's me i had a girlfriend you know i yeah. did it's exactly what you're talking about i felt safer coming out as bisexual yeah. first and i actually it is a thing yeah i said i was bisexual before i could go ahead and say i was gay because like of course through a heteronormative lens if you're gay you're 100 percent wrong um, yeah exactly and if you're that's where straight, i always get it yeah yeah sorry i didn't mean to cut you go ahead no 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 yeah G keep going Yeah, so basically, if you're straight, you're 100% right. And if you're bisexual, you're 50% right, 50% wrong. I like 100%, it's not like that in terms of identity. If yeah, of course not. You're not 50% straight, 50% gay. It's a lot more complex and way less linear than that. Um, But that's what we were saying about like how perception. it's not about, yeah, the um, what your identity is not like any less because of how you're perceived it like your perception really at the end of the day is just like the amount of privilege you will probably get um um in your experience and obviously it this is not a like a universal thing like there's a lot of bisexual people who have had like worse um um coming out experiences than gay people like it's not like a like a war it's not that it's just that um Or like an oppression olympics percent. <laughs> yeah we're not trying to say some yeah. experience is better than others it's just that if you feel like you as a bisexual maybe have sometimes um taken some more space in the queer community than you should because you haven't necessarily had the queer experiences and you have not been shaped by the queer trauma that your fellow queers have maybe you should acknowledge that and yeah. in the same way if a if, if a gay person or a lesbian person or whatever and um, feels like they have been um kind of erasing by people from their activism that's also something to think about it's not in any way oppression olympics it's just yeah we should have a conversation about the things that we should acknowledge as a community yeah exactly um All, well <laughs> yeah obviously i guess this is like a, a thing we've talked about um But it's just because I've seen like harmful activism, if that makes sense, um, on the internet more so like within our queer family, <laughs> there is bisexual people too. So it's not like, um, like, I don't feel that um, with my close, my closest, um, like, queer bisexual, yeah, it's yeah. not that. It's more so what I've seen on like online and in real life with people that I'm not like that close with. Mm -hmm. Um. Then moving on, I'd like to talk about dating apps for queers, mm -hmm. kind of the digital re digital relationships and the digital nature of uh, queer connections, because I feel like um, queer people often rely on dating apps a lot more than straight people because if you're straight uh, a lot of the time you can just meet someone in real life um, and you, you go out to a club and then you meet someone or any other setting doesn't have to be a club and at the same time for us queers there's always that kind of fear that maybe if we approach someone that we have liked in public or in private uh, we might get like physically hurt or psychologically hurt because of the oppression that we still live under even though it's not very acknowledged um it feels like because we have kind of uh, gay flags everywhere like homophobia is over and that's really not the case uh, especially in these microaggressions that we're talking about so a lot of people have um come to dating apps uh, to kind of avoid 
and having to do this face-to-face -face interactions that sometimes cost you your life, you know? Uh, we're not even kidding around here. It's it's really, really serious. Um, so yeah, like, what do you think about dating apps? Because I feel like they're also really stigmatized, at least in our context. Uh, we are, we're, well, we're originally, originally from Barcelona and um, a lot of my uh, friends who are not queer have actually been a bit jud judgmental about me being on uh, dating apps. Um, why do you think that is? And do you think it ties to the concept of promiscuity that we were talking about? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, it looks like um, if you get on a dating app, it's like you're looking too much for something. You're like, you're like, um, because obviously if you're um, straight, it'll probably like come to you. It's like, oh, like I will go to this bar or you will get introduced to someone and it'll just like come to you. So it feels like if queer people, because of what you said, most of the time can't do that. Um, if you get on a dating app, it's just like you're looking for it. So it's not like as real, as valid as whatever. So yeah, I think it does come from that. And from the fact that you are like, as if like you're desperate or, or something when really it's like the same exact thing um thing but I don't know I feel like within the LGBT community I don't think it's that stigmatized like it's pretty known that like all gays um like a lot of like gays follow each other um from Tinder and from other apps it's like I don't know um which it's it's kind of nice because it's like a way of like um like having something that is like for you and like by the same people that are like participating in it um but yeah mm -hmm. I agree and that kind of uh, dating app world evolves into like digital relationships and I feel like both you and I have had a lot of, ex of experience of like building connections over the internet which is something that's really interesting on many levels to both of us um, yeah. it, it doesn't have to be romantic relationships. We can be talking about friendship also, uh, platonic queer friendships, for example. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, in the dating world, uh, we also have a lot of the time kind of met people on a digital sp space and um, we have actually had to travel to meet that person later on if we had yeah. to meet them in real life. <laughs> so I think that's really interesting, like from a sociological point of view to also kind of, look at um and yeah. our digital selves yeah exactly um and that's also why we also kind of have th this subculture of kind of presenting ourselves through social media in a way that straight people don't do a lot of the time yeah at least you and I have talked about this and we know this it's a commonality with a lot of other queers we kind of build our digital selves um as a kind of yeah as a gateway to engaging in connection with other people on the internet other queers of course yeah for sure I also think it, it's related to what we always say about um like how we embrace technology because honestly um this is not so much like related to queerness but um like what we say about how people who undermine technology and are like oh like the world was like better but I feel like um I've done insane like trips and like things that I could have I could have not done without like a phone or like having access to like technology. So 
um but it also like comes with privilege obviously um but yeah i think it's like nice that we like embrace technology and like also like um uh connections that you can have through like the internet like this conversation that's happening right now Exactly, exactly. But to me, at least, technology is really inherently queer because, um, mm, yeah like, for sure. I don't think I would have ever come out. Um, I know it's horrible to kind of say it like that, but I don't think I would have ever embraced my queerness if it wasn't for the internet, you know, because oh, yeah, all the references I got, um, mm. that were lacking in the media, in society, in culture, I got them online. Um, and I first spoke to other queers and I first dated other queers online. So, Yeah, It's I very totally powerful. get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, and I do share that because honestly, you know, in my like real like, life, like physically, I didn't know so many, like I didn't know like queer people, like I knew gay people. <laughs> But um, I feel like for me personally, like, um, like I had musical references that obviously come from like the internet and like their internet personas like Arca. um or like you know i feel like um electronic music as a whole has also like allowed me to you know part of like embrace queerness and stuff and you know like um like arca for instance we've talked about um it in a lot of occasions like you and i but also it's something that i i hadn't thought about it like that but yeah obviously it's something you get access to through the internet and it has an impact in your in your life you know like in your experience so 100 and uh, that kind of brings us to the subject of queer music which i wasn't thinking we were going to discuss but um i feel like for you for me and for a lot a lot of other queers um music is like such a, a pillar in our lives mm -hmm. um, and it kind of allows us to um externalize a lot of these um kind of wishes and ideals uh, that we have for ourselves to live a queer lifestyle to lead a queer life um allows and, us to connect yeah exactly yeah like um for Gerard it was Arca I also also really like Arca um she's an, an amazing uh trans woman who has created amazing I mean I wouldn't even use the word amazing to describe her music because it's just yeah. it's just uh, like amazing is such a limited word you know For sure. um, it, it has deeply changed me and it has deeply changed Gerard as well especially Gerard I feel like because my transformation came more with Bjork um, who is very yeah. important to me and Gerard also really likes her but yeah like I feel like we've both like gone through this like transformation <laughs> um, through queer music yeah for sure yeah um So yeah, it's 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 just wonderful how um, something kind of through technology and through art um, has kind of made us more valid, has made us feel more valid, and this links with uh, queer ecology because we have looked at technology and how it made us more com confident in our queerness. We have looked at um, music, how it made us more confident in our queerness. But what about nature? Actually, this is kind of like a very taboo thing for me um, because when I was about 14 years old, um, I heard my mom say that queerness was inherently um, like a sign of illness 
or a sign of mental illness or if that if, if it wasn't that it was at least um kind of a sign of trauma uh, in the family uh, growing up so to me um seeing myself was like seeing my identity was just like oh, okay so there's something wrong with me there's something wrong with me and there's especially something unnatural about me because um human reproduction seemed to be kind of the only objective um of a lot of kind of conceptions about the world and I was kind of left out of it because I wouldn't reproduce um so yeah I felt really unnatural but then um kind of I always escaped nature and the concept of queer ecology came in so I kind of grew, uh, drew a paragraph so that you can um, kind of hear about it because it's really, really interesting and I could talk about it for ages. Uh, but let me just read a quick paragraph to you. Is that fine with you, Shalab? Yeah, of course. I'd love. Okay, so the term queer ecology refers to a perspective which views nature, biology and sexuality through the lens of queer theory. It objects to what it considers heterosexist no notions of nature Drawing, drawing from science studies, ecofeminism, environmental justice, and queer geography. This perspective breaks apart various, uh, various dualisms that exist within human understanding of nature and culture, which is um, evidently tied to heteronormativity. Various non-human animal species exhibit behavior that can be interpreted as homosexual or bisexual. This may include same-sex uh, sexual activity, courtship, affection, pair bonding, and parenting among same-sex animal pairs. Various forms of this are found in every major geographic region and every major animal group. The sexual behavior of non-human animals takes many different forms, even within the same species, um, though homosexual behavior is best known from social species. Scientists perceive homosexual behavior in animals to different degrees. According to Bruce Bagemil, same-sex behavior comprising courtship, sexual pair bonding, and parental activities has been documented, attention to this, has been documented in over 450 species of animals worldwide. One species in which exclusive homosexual orientation occurs are sheep. About 10% of males refuse to mate with females, but do readily mate with other males. Um, so yeah, just like the concept of queer ecology is what has ever brought me most peace. Um, in terms of my identity, at least, because I thought like it was purely kind of uh, kind of a, an illness or some sort of trauma induced response that could happen in humans. But suddenly it happened naturally in nature in over 450 species of animals. So mm -hmm. nature is very queer and that made me feel like I was part of nature. Therefore, I was natural and I could be valid. That's amazing. Do you have yeah. any experiences towards this? I wonder if it's common with other people if, or if it was my um, experience. I mean, we talked about this and, and and you told me how it would like, make, like it made you feel like sort of um, um, like at peace with that idea. And it makes a lot of sense actually for you because you, you really go forward to nature. Um, um, if that makes sense. So it's like, embracing like a new idea of like what nature is you know what I mean exactly yeah 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 I mean I I felt like I could not enjoy nature fully because of my nature um mm -hmm. but suddenly I realized that actually I was not only valid but it was actually very common in nature to to have that so 
I could finally go back to enjoying myself and enjoying nature. Um, That's so yeah, so nice. it's, it's very And poetic also, and beautiful. it is, it is, like I swear. And I've seen a lot of things about um, um, about how, like, you know how usually the discourse around transness is, like, um, how, um, you know, how gender is a social construct and, like, sex is, like, the biological thing. Um, and sometimes I feel like, I mean, that is obviously, like, a valid um point is what I'm saying is that sometimes that um differentiation of social construct and biological um is like a bit harmful because it's like <clears throat> your biological sex is like what you're changing but really in nature too um I'm not an expert obviously in this but um gender I I sex is also not binary which is insane like in nature sex is not always binary and there is um a lot of species that um have non-binary um biological sexual characteristics and intersex characteristics um and yeah just like knowing about that also blew my mind because um I would link the video but I don't remember like I, I don't remember um where I got it from but yeah I think it's it um also shows that how like um you know the academization of science in that sense has also been really um you know harmful towards queers and towards like racialized people like um Darwin like Darwinism um was super harmful for um eugenics and like just separating You know, like biology can be used to really like um, just like segregate and like marginalize already marginalized groups, if that makes sense. percent yeah um and that's kind of like the what what the opportunity is with queer ecology you know we we can start exploring um biology nature and even the the, the plant world and fungi and Wow. through a queer uh, lens and uh, relating it to what we already know about um queerness socially and uh, scientifically and yeah it just opens the door to so much Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really uh, amazed by all of this but also um, while I was doing the research about um, kind of uh, queer activity in animals there was also bits about um, a lot of trans Uh, animals or at least like animals uh, like kind of showing attributes and uh,
um, to kind of my body as it was. Actually, it, it was the opposite. I kind of really detached from it. And I didn't like the fact that because of my body, I was uh, kind of put into so many boxes that I didn't choose. Um, and uh, ultimately, I started experiencing uh, gender dysphoria. Of course, not to such a degree uh, where a lot of um, other trans people have experienced it. So I've been very lucky that mine was somewhat manageable. Um, but I have, and this is the first time I say this publicly, um, but I have started transitioning. Um, not in the way that people immediately think of when I say transitioning for trans people, yeah. which is hormones, you know? People think, oh, hormones and surgery. Well, that's actually not the way I'm going uh, forward with my uh, transition. Mm -hmm. It's in other ways, which of course are uh, personal to me, so I'm not necessarily gonna disclose them on here. Um, but yeah, um, I'm really proud of finally having decided to do something about- and I am too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, darling. Um, but yeah, I've finally been able to kind of uh, tackle my uh, gender dysphoria um, by physically transitioning, which has been very liberating. And I am very gender non-conforming a lot of the time in my gender um, kind of presentation. Uh, what do you call that? Gender? Like um, expression. My, yeah, my gender expression. So I think that's also something that we have yeah, to and account. your energy too like we talked about this but like like all those like all the years we've been friends it's like i've perceived you as like a you know like what you identified for um with which is also like crazy like i perceived you as like uh like a non-binary energy if that makes sense yeah, that makes a lot of hard sense. hard to explain but yeah. yeah i really 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 appreciate that <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I feel like also one thing is to be non-binary, one thing is to be trans. But again, it's all about perception. So the way in which you present yourself in society definitely mm -hmm. makes um, a difference to your experience um, being oppressed by that. Um, and personally, I have kind of felt uh, a lot of prejudice about my um, non um, my non-normative gender expression. Um, but yeah, that's of course for a, for a different episode because there's a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, let's let's discuss transness briefly. Um, yeah. do, do you have any like things that you would like to say about it? Because there's literally so much, so we could just start the conversation anywhere. Um, like personally, I feel like, I mean, trans people are incredibly. Uh, brave and I don't mean it in the patronizing way where straight people go up to trans people and say oh my god you're so you're so brave you know it's actually like <laughs> I do think yeah. they are some of the bravest members of our society because the whole world was telling them you're this you're this and they felt otherwise and they actually dared to say actually no and affirm themselves for their true identity with all the prejudice and violence mm -hmm. they get from that and of course it's kind of a very Western view at the same time because trans people have existed across societies and across centuries. Um, and I actually did a, did a presentation for my, um, for my university um, with, with accounts of transness all over the world, um, which I would love to, to mention to you um, if I can find the, the file, uh, which I don't think I can. So, but yeah, um, <laughs> in any way, it's like, it's historical. It's not something that just happened trans people have existed for centuries 
And I feel like we should give them a lot more space in the queer community, which is something that's happening in increasingly, but also, of course, in society, because they can, I mean, they are the, literally, they are the representation of everything that's possible if you truly decide to be yourself and free yourself from any societal expectations. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, it. it's what I was saying, like, it's also crazy that um, to me, as we mentioned, like one of my biggest, like, um, how do you say, like references or like, um, mm -hmm. or like, yeah, like queer references was um, a non-binary trans um, person. Um, and like Arca's music is super like um, trans related too. Um, so I also think it's super, it's very nice that I can like get, um, you know, something out of it too. Like um, feeling um, like queer type of joy with like their music too. Um, so yeah, I do agree with like, it's like the highest form of like, um, I don't know what I would call it, but I get what I do. You know what I'm, what I'm saying? Like that, like queer people can get something out of it. Mm -hmm. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to ask you about queer joy because you mentioned this and a lot of people might not necessarily know what you mean by it. What is queer joy? Um, I feel like, um, because you, you know, we talk about queer trauma, but we have to talk yeah, about for sure. we definitely also experience a lot of that. Yeah. When we're, when we're like with our friends and stuff, it's like, um, just having a space where you can freely conceptualize everything and like, um, just have like, um, yeah, I feel like queer joy having comes from having a space where you can like fully like embrace your identity and just like be yourself, which is super corny, obviously, but like um <laughs> I don't think it is. I think it's pretty <laughs> <laughs> But do you know what I mean? I feel like um it also comes from like what you couldn't have for a lot of time and you didn't know it was possible. And when you do have it, it's like sort of special. That's why it's that's probably why you add the queer before it because otherwise it's just like joy um but yeah yeah 100 percent. so to kind of end what would you say to uh, queer kids growing up who might have a feeling that queer but they're not quite ready to explore that because of the lack of references and availability of resources mm -hmm. um yeah what would you say to those kids or to those youths I mean, what we were saying, I think, is really, really nice and really important that about queerness is that, as we said in the beginning, it doesn't have to do necessarily with your, like, sexuality. It's more like how you view the world. And I think we've, like, made it clear with everything we've said that, like, you can embrace so many things like nature, technology, and, like, just through that lens. And I would... um obviously this depends on like what um situation you're you're in but like um through technology you can like have access to so many like special um circles and like places and content that will probably allow you to like know yourself better um so that's something and also i would consider what we said about coming out that 
you don't owe um, an explanation. And if you feel like you do, um, it's probably because those same people have like done things to hurt you. And I think you're also entitled to, you know, bring that up and like just um, making it clear that those actions in the past have hurt you. Um, and yeah, I think that's about it. <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. And I think to end, it's kind of really important to once again note that it's been a chat about our experience and the experiences of those around us in our context. So, um, of course, it's very limited um, because we're uh, both racially privileged, we're white people, and uh, we've been socialized as males once again. So there's a lot of uh, nuances that we cannot access and that we would not try to pretend that we can access because um yeah there's already amazing uh content creators and podcasters um who are like people of color who are also queer and uh trans people of color so um yeah definitely just also go follow them there's for example the yeah, trans we could link um yeah yeah we we, we totally have a lot should of um like content creators that we know like we both know about so we could Do you link want to mention a few just now? like we um i mean we both follow alok um i think they're like very um outspoken about a lot of racialized um issues within the lgbt community and um also about how um about we, the thing we were mentioning about eugenics and how us about hair um like but how body hair is like um also like a, a usually used within a racial um negative connotation etc so yeah yeah and i would also like to recommend the trans slash podcast which i've listened to in the past and um arca you should definitely listen to arca um this very beloved musician of ours i think it can really help you if you're transitioning or just questioning your transness and yeah just really dive deep into that music and it might be very transformational for you as well Definitely. because it has that universal power Mm-hmm. um and uh i would also like to recommend uh instagram pages like queer brown vegan uh which uh kind of looks at um looks at queerness very intersectionally as well as other um social justice issues and there's literally so many that i follow which i can't recall now uh Yeah. but we'll definitely link some in the description and by the way we're also on spotify and apple music and anywhere you get your podcast so please uh check us out on there as well it's not limited to soundcloud which was a bit inaccessible for some folks um but yeah we're actually running out of time again so i would like to thank jadad for joining me in this conversation i'm sorry because i i know it was like it was supposed to be an equal conversation but i feel like i just chatted a lot Why? No. okay well i'm glad you feel that way um I was really happy to talk to you today Yeah, me too. and I think uh, hopefully this will bring some value to our listeners. I know it's a lot of information so digest it. We, we talk a lot, we talk really fast so if you need to kind of um, slow down the recording, uh, do that and take in everything that we say and because we can be a lot in a great way. <laughs> so um, yeah, uh, thank We you are once a again. lot. Yeah, we are a lot and that's what Grant is all about, about embracing that if that's what you are. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you very much. I'm hugging you digitally. Yeah, our digital selves are hugging right now. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Love you very much and Love hopefully you. you'll join me again. Yeah. Bye. Bye.